Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Ah, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio. 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show, highlighting issues around homelessness and rooming houses. Hi, my name's Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we highlight one of the 12-step recovery programs that assist recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling, and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery experience with us and show us how that shared experience saves lives. Um, today, my guests are Greg and Russell. They're members of Alcoholics Anonymous, and they'll be sharing how AA has helped them recover from alcoholism. So welcome to the 3CR studio. So we usually start talking about growing up and family and if there's any, if, if your family had any connection with alcoholism before. So um, Greg, what was like life for you growing up? Um, for me, life was, um, basically my, I have a long sort of um, history of, of alcoholism in my family, especially on my father's side, where there's a sort of great-grandfather, grandfather, father and myself um i'm lucky enough that my father managed to get into alcoholics anonymous uh, by the time i was about 17 and and he died sober um probably about a year and a half two years ago um so i i was kind of aware of the obviously the the negative side and also the positive side of getting into recovery but um certainly as, as a child it was difficult i was the eldest child of three and tended to uh, take the worst brunt of it, um, uh, you know, any sort of arguments. I wouldn't say that my father was particularly abusive, but it wasn't a great situation. And, and the, um, he, he struggled to to really sort of uh, express his, his love or affection and things like that. And, and you know, it was a very typical sort of uh, Scottish Glaswegian guy who, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, a man of his generation and, um, and, and would, would struggle with that. And, and as, a, as a, a child growing up and, and a teenager in that environment, uh, it was yeah, it was it was challenging, and I wasn't the you know the easiest child to get on with afterwards. No. <laughs> so, um, what what caused him to come into AA then? Um, for him, it was um, I, well, it was it was basically my mother put a, an ultimatum. But I think like a, a lot of alcoholics, um, we all will have a catastrophic moment or a, you know a, a, a pause for reflection um, and and something that really sort of makes us think. Um, and we, you know, in his case, he, you know, I think the fact that he'd been with my mother for so long and he loved her very much and she was serious about leaving him, um, it, it actually woke him up and, and made him realise that uh, that he needed to stop. He wasn't an everyday drinker, which kind of, in some respects, made it harder because, you know, it was harder to come to that conclusion when he could go 18 months without a drink and, and binge drink for a while. But um, the... The actual uh, damage that was caused was, you know, yeah, the same. considerable. Yeah. yeah. So, how did uh, your family's life change once he got into AA? It, not for the better for me, yeah. but uh, for a while at least. Um, you know, the, the rest of the family were really happy, patting him on the back, saying how wonderful, you know, a job he was doing Good in luck. recovery. Yeah, what a great guy, and I was not on board with that at all. Um, so, you know, uh, I, it was re- it was really tricky because you know I was this difficult uh, teenager who felt reasonably aggrieved, and mm. um, and we didn't we didn't for you know many years couldn't reconcile that. That's not to say we didn't get on, but we we really really struggled. Yeah. Okay. So did your family go to Al-Anon or anything? Yeah, my mum went to Al-Anon for many years. I went to Alateen for about six months, but as you can imagine, sort of. 17-year-old boy trying to, you know, <laughs> accept that I had feelings, let alone express them, uh, was, was really tricky. And I, 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 I'm not saying I didn't benefit, but I think it was minimal. But my mum really, I think she stayed in Al-Anon for maybe 15-plus years. So Yeah, okay, right. Uh, so, Russell, um, for you, what was family like, life like for you, and was there a lot of drinking involved? Uh, n- family life, okay, Uh so drinking involved at least uh, direct exposure, no. Um, my father's drinking was very occasional uh, and, we, you know, 
his idea of drinking was a maybe a, a stubby of beer on a very hot day after mowing the lawn. Yeah. And what you call normal. Yeah, yeah I guess so. Uh, well, and as an alcoholic, or whatever normal is, you know, yeah. is is difficult for me to to comprehend. Yeah. Um, there was a little bit of, I guess, family violence, but. Um, all things considered, I considered my life to be quite normal. And, you know, there was a roof over my head, uh, three meals a day. Yep. Uh, it all seemed normal enough. Yeah. So any relation, relations had any problems? Absolutely. Um, I, had a, I have a couple of uncles on one side of the family and uh, uh, an auntie and uncle on another side of the family. So, uh, and, and, and there was lots of sort of hushed up, conversations about great-grandmother you know maybe okay. she liked to bend the elbow just a little bit too much right. when she was a family secret right okay um so how'd you get on at school were you one of the kids or not definitely no i was not one of the kids uh i was on the margins uh and uh, yeah just didn't feel that i really belonged um so but you know well yeah, what's to say? Yeah, that's um, right. That's life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what was your introduction to alcohol? How old were you? Um, I was 17 or 18. Uh, we had a class that uh, was at a, another campus, and, and so uh, it was at lunchtime with a mate. I think he put on some Monty Python records and uh, pinched something cheap and nasty out of his mother's uh, liquor cabinet or whatever, and... Uh, it, it, we went off to class. Um, teacher asked me something, and I gave a smart aleck response. And I think it was the alcohol talking. And there's kind of a sense that I had arrived. Uh, you know, I was cool because the kids were laughing, and uh, that was kind of the first moment and a moment that I spent chasing for a long time. Yeah. So how, how did it feel that fitting in for once? Uh, like I say, it was a warm, fuzzy effect. It was, it was good. You know, I, I liked fitting in. You know? yeah. Uh, yeah. Who doesn't? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like being noticed, yeah. Um, so what was your life like um, growing up? Did you, um, did you have any issues with family or...? Oh, not overly, yeah. no. Yeah. Um, didn't see any of my extended family drinking, Um but it was it was kind of there. Uh, uh, we'd go off occasionally and visit my uncle, and he had a, a pile of crashed up uh, cars, and no insurance company in Victoria would give him coverage. And this is prior to drink Good driving, driving. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let alone being tested for drink driving. But even at that stage, insurance companies knew they didn't want to cover him. Yeah. Uh, but it was not, uh, he was he was uh, the family secret. I mentioned that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Uh, and Greg, what about you? When did you uh, get exposed to alcohol? Um, I've always been sort of. I think, um, yeah, from an early age. You know, there was there was always uh, alcohol around. Although I always sort of had a, a sense that my father's sort of relationship was very uh, unhealthy. Um, but for myself, uh, a lot of school kids, you know, I, I grew up in uh, the 80s and then uh, into the 90s. And, and at that time period, every, everyone was just living for the weekend. Everyone was, you know, there was party time. It was, uh, and probably when I was about sort of 14, we would go to different pubs that would actually serve us, you know, serve a 14-year-old and not ask too many questions. Um, and uh, to be honest, I, I didn't, I think, I think there was also sort of necking a few bottles of uh, friends' homemade wine or you know, their father's homemade wine. It was pretty rank. And I've got to be honest, I, you know, it didn't, it didn't hold down too well and I wasn't enjoying it that much. But uh, going to the pubs and things like that was far more sociable. We would have a lot of fun. Um, and eventually I realised, although I might not enjoy the taste of this, I mean, it wasn't particularly good, <laughs> to be honest, um, it was what I could afford at the time, but I, I realised I was actually quite good at drinking and I, and I had a sort of competitive streak that I could yeah. drink other people under the table and yeah. a bit of a badge of honour, really. Um, and everything was geared to, you know, what we're going to do, how we're going to get booze, where's the money coming from, who's who's looks old enough to get into the off-licence to buy it without getting questioned too much or... 
and you know into my into my sort of uh, late teens uh, it was it was still th- you know and and sort of growing up in the early 90s it was it, it was either booze or recreational drugs or both yeah. and raves and parties and mm. and you know the, the, it was it was that definition of living for the weekend so i i didn't drink every every day but i, I couldn't afford to and and to be honest um hangovers yeah they were they, they weren't great but you know at that age you can weather it really well <laughs> Um, a bit more resilient, absolutely. Um, and and going to these parties and things like that, it was it was always for the weekend. And and having a job was functional. It was just to, you know, keep the roof over your head and and uh, uh, you know manage to get some food. And, and but to to be fair, everything was centered around the weekend. Yeah. And those weekends kind of grew. Yeah. So what did your parents think about your drinking? Can they were always concerned. They were always concerned because because of I think my dad's background and uh, I was the uh, yeah I was I, I think it's fair to say I was a black sheep of the family um, and they were always concerned that I, I was going to go off the rails. In fact, they thought I was way more off the rail at the rails earlier down the line. They thought I was on drugs and all sorts of different things, which I actually wasn't until later <laughs> on. Um, and and they, I think they they got quite paranoid about it. To to be fair, however, saying that I still followed that path and I still ended mm. up in the direction that I was I was going. So they, obviously they had their um, probably genuine concerns. And uh, and yeah, I, uh, people had conversations with me about you know maybe slow it down, maybe not drink so much. And and but you have to have ears to hear. And I, yeah, you've got to be think. listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, so with your friends, obviously you, you started out all drinking together. So did mm-hmm. things change? Did they diverge? Yeah. So people get more um, serious with life. You know, they, they want they want a career. They, they you know maybe they're buying a, a car, maybe they're buying a house, maybe they've got a girlfriend pregnant or a wife, or you know, there's there's all these sort of life choices that uh, for most people are quite um, organic. And for me, uh, you know, I felt like I was kind of being left behind as people were kind of splitting off and getting more serious with their life and their careers and so on. I, um, yeah, I was, I was still wanting to party. I was still felt that, you know, I had a fair bit of, uh, of, of enjoyment to, to have. And my drinking had taken sort of, you know, pretty epic proportions. My, my quiet night in would be people's big night out. And if, if you came out with me, you know, you knew you were in for a big one. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, it was just, it was the done thing. But I used to wear that as a badge of honour and yeah. think, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> later on down the line, you think very differently. But yeah. So what about relationships? It's difficult holding a relationship while you're drinking because you, your focus is not on the person. A lot of the, the women I used to sort of uh, gravitate to would, you know, they, they, they may not have total similar tastes, but certainly one of the serious relationships I had, um, she was a big drinker for quite a while. And to be honest, you know, she was older than me, but I was without doubt the bad influence, um, you know, introducing her to a lot more drinking than she was exposed to before. Um, and recreational drugs, you know, and that was... Um, you know, it, it seemed exciting because I was still in my twenties. But as you get older and, and you know you start to put on weight and you, you know the, the hangovers are worse and um, you know you're you're not looking after yourself. In fact, one of the sort of health effects was that I started because I was putting on so much weight and I was smoking, I was drinking, and, and, and all sorts. Um, I I was snoring really badly, and more often than not, I had to go into the next room and and. For many years, actually, in, in that relationship and the, the subsequent relationship, which was my marriage, um, I was actually living in the, the, the spare room for many years, you know, yeah. and it was all to do with drinking. Who knew? I mean, yeah. <laughs> surprise. Ah, yes. Okay. Um, so, Russell, um, how did you get out of home and get on with your life? What was the, what was the, I guess, the impetus to, to leave? Uh, look, I left home to study, yeah. and um, so I took on doing a, uh, a three-year degree, and uh, uh, the first drinking experiences I had at that time uh, were projectile vomiting on one time, another occasion waking up in the bottom, bottom of a shower, and I don't know if the shower's running or not. Uh, a, th- a third occasion, uh, waking up hugging a toilet bowl. Yeah. Uh, they were you know, 
no invisible line for me to cross. Yeah, uh, I had a problem drinking from the start. From the start. Yep. Um, that's not to say that everybody does, but that was my experience. Yeah, and I just thought I needed to to learn to drink better. Uh, that maybe that uh, a cap- capability to drink like other people would come. So I kept practicing. Yep. <laughs> it, it seemed like good logic at the time. And uh, eventually I failed out of my, um, my university studies and um, gravitated to working in a hotel. And one of the, uh, dare I use the word, advantages of working in a hotel is that I could drink in an abnormal manner with lots of other people drinking in an abnormal manner around me and my drinking wasn't questioned. Yeah. So I fell into the trap that my drinking was normal. Uh, and in due course, I discovered it wasn't. Uh, towards the end of my drinking, you know, I might drink a, a four-litre cask of wine and then go to work the next day. That's not, that was no. by myself. That's not good social drinking. And it's not about how much you drink. But that is just where drinking led me over time. Yeah. So what about relationships for you? Uh, there were a couple of relationships, um, but the, the, the serious one, uh, when, when I got married, I, I kind of hid the uh, drinking from my wife and she, she went on to um, become a drug and alcohol counsellor. We, we never had a serious discussion about my drinking. Now, I don't know whether I was fantastic about hiding it, and I was hiding it. I knew my drinking by that stage wasn't normal. Uh, and I might have a, a cask of wine in, in, in a cardboard box. And on mm. one occasion, she actually, she'd been trying to, I guess, uh, order things and move, move things around at home and discovered this cask of wine and said, what's this? And I said, oh, that's from, you know, before we were married and it's an old one. And really it was just my uh, swap in swap out cask um and and i I didn't only drink wine i drank beer i I, I drank anything with alcohol in it yeah uh but i i lied to her and i lied to everybody when my drinking was questioned because i had to protect it yeah so did it affect your relationship badly absolutely yeah yeah uh it put a lid on my ability to deal with my emotions and feelings my wife might ask me you know, how are you feeling? Because uh, she wanted some communication. She wanted to know what was happening. Yeah. Uh, and alcohol had shut me down. And I'd say to her, uh, look, I'll tell you how I'm feeling in a couple of hours. And I've subsequently discovered that that's called thinking. But <laughs> I, 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 I didn't know how I felt. Uh, I was empty. Uh, towards the end of my drinking, looking in a mirror, it was like the guy who was looking back um, dare I say, was soulless. Uh, yep. You know, I just someone else. Yeah, yeah. I was just mm. no. There was nothing coming back. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, listen, we might take a uh, quick break. Red alert! Numbers are needed at the Japurung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japurung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The campaign to protect country is led by Japurung traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japurung country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. Uh, you're listening to the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial, and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, we've got over 100 episodes of the show uh, available as podcasts from our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash livingfree, so you can check them out. If you want to send us a message, then you can either contact 3CR on 9419 8377 or email us on 3CRLivingFree at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter as 3CRLivingFree. 
I'm talking with Greg and Russell about recovering from alcoholism with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. So, Greg, we sort of left you. Mm-hmm. I think you'd made it into your 20s or so, mm-hmm. and things are, things are going pretty well. You're, you're a high-functioning drinker. So how did life progress for you? I think, you know, like as you get older, uh, things different things become more important and, and you have different priorities. And, and um, you know, I was holding down a relationship um, and I was working for retail at the time. I became uh, a union representative within that sort of uh, that framework for a while. And, and there, was, there was a lot of pressure and a lot of, um, um, uh, you know, a, a lot to do, basically. And, and, and I, you know, I... I would, they had a bit of a hedonistic sort of lifestyle and, you know, play hard, work hard, or sorry, work hard, play hard. Um, and it kind of really fed into my alcoholism in, in, in a big way. Um, many times I tried to get promoted. In fact, I was, you know, many people would put me forward for things like promotional sort of uh, um, selection boards. and But the selection boards would kind of, they'd be quite switched on. I didn't realise this at the time, but they'd, they'd have a sense of me and and yes i was really good at what i did at the time but there was this sense of a ticking time bomb um you know i while i could do my job and do it well um there was an unreliability and there was an unpredictability about my drinking and my drinking was becoming more and more visible and you know functions and and things like that it was it was uh, becoming a, a real problem um Sure, in the day I would stay functional and and sober, but um, you know in the evening I'd write myself off. Uh, in the evenings, I you know I, I started because I couldn't um, control my behaviour during the evenings and, and socially as I had uh, prior to that. Or maybe it wasn't so much controlling it; it was funnier when I was younger. Being older, yeah. you, can't, you can't get away with that. <laughs> um, so I kind of isolated a fair bit, and my, my drinking would be sort of more at home and. You know, I, I, you know, don't don't sort of phone me after eight o'clock in the evening. I would try. I'm not saying I didn't drink dry, but I, I really tried not to get into um, into the car after eight o'clock in the evening because I, most most likely I was I was drinking. So it was it was a it was starting to become quite a sad existence, and I was starting to isolate. And you know, but I would kid myself with little things like sort of uh, Sunday Sunday morning. I would uh, you know I'd, I'd go get the, the Sunday paper with all the supplements. I'd get some cheese and crackers and. Red wine and, and stuff like that, and, and you know, by ten thirty, I'm 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 getting all of the supplements out. I, I'm I'm trying to be sophisticated, and I've got the cheese and crackers and red wine. And by two o'clock, I've got you know, after two bottles of red wine, I'm into the the, the liter of scotch. And and you know, by eight o'clock, I'm a complete mess, dribbling on the on the couch and and, and passed out. You know, the sophistication had gone <laughs> long before. You know, um, but. You know, my life was, it was all targeted towards drinking and towards, uh, you know, that, that sort of, um, just, just a very sort of miserable lifestyle. And what was really strange, you know, for many alcoholics and, and including myself is, is that that became acceptable. That, that was okay. If you told me that's the way the direction my life was going to head at 18, I would have told you, mm. no, that's, that's not the case. But I'd, I'd willingly and, you know, unknowingly, sort of uh, trapped myself in, in this very miserable existence. Yeah. So were you alone or... You no, know, no. I, I'd, I had a relationship at the time. So I, I had quite a serious relationship for maybe about seven years. And, <clears throat> you know, there's a, there's a sort of saying in, in AA, we, we, you know, we don't just have relationships, we, we take hostages. And I think that was, you know, with, without a sort of physical abuse sort of situation, I think that was, you know, not untrue. Um, and even in my marriage, you know, for a while, probably about an 18-month, maybe two-year period where I'd left my previous partner and, and, and met my new partner and, and got married to her i you know there's a there's a geographical sort of uh, you know for, for a while i'll leave my old existence and everything's new and exciting and i can kind of almost behave myself or keep it under wraps and then you know after a while yeah i relax and i kind of hello this is a real greg um and yeah she wasn't obviously too happy about that and realized quite considerably how much of a problem so it wasn't just my smoking and drinking and my snoring and keeping me out of the the, the room and the marital bed and all that kind of thing it was there was there was so much more and and you know even going on holiday i couldn't be too far away from a a drink or a bar or you know knowing where my next drink was was coming from it was everything was sort of trapping me in in that cycle yeah so did anybody warn you about your behavior 
all the time and you know as i said before you know you've got to have ears to hear and you know whether it's my parents my friends and and some of my friends were still uh you know i would say arguably sort of borderline they have a problem but you know some of them would have um you know would have drink and drugs and things like that when we socialized and some of them were on considerable amounts of drugs and would would tell me that i had a problem and you know that that takes them to very perceptive isn't it yeah um so what about work though did did it were you progressively getting worse at your job i i changed jobs a couple of, and, and and careers uh, a few times but i you know the, i'm still in the career that i or still in the industry that i i started with which is more sort of ohs uh now and and um you know i i'm i, I managed to keep my job I, I ended up teaching all the way around the uk for a while so it, it required me to drive so it made it easier to um to drink because i would stay mm. in hotels and you know and i'd come back to my wife and say oh you don't know how hard my week had been <laughs> knowing full well that i'd been drinking all week as well and then say yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna drink as well um but i you know if, although i would say to myself that i never drank drive if you you know if the policeman had pulled me over over any given morning it's very likely that i would have been over the limit and at that point i would have lost my license my job my my home my wife you know not necessarily in that order but it would have been the domino effect and um you know it was it was always on the horizon it was getting worse and worse and progressively worse you know um and i just didn't really have hangovers i just felt rubbish all the time you know when you feel yeah. rubbish all the yeah. time you what's a hangover it's nothing <laughs> Okay. Um, so, Russell, with you, um, drinking became the go-to thing. So how did that – did you find that that isolated you more and more? The more you drank, the more you isolated? Uh, yes. Uh, you know, I think eventually my wife got wind of her senses and, and, and left, and inwardly I sort of uh, thought to myself, okay, I've got, I've got a wage, I've got a roof over my head. You know, you beauty, I can drink without restraints. And uh, uh, looking back, I, you know, I loved that woman. I would give my left arm to be able to t- turn the clock back. And I know there's no turning the clock back. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not pining for it. But, yeah, um, yeah I, I lost that relationship and I inwardly said, you beauty, uh, because I could drink in the manner that I wanted to. And I did. You know, I yeah. did. I um, would um, respectably look at my watch at uh, one minute past five and think, okay, I, it's okay for me to leave work now. I've put in a good work day. Uh, I may have been drinking at lunchtime or I may have been swearing off it. I, I knew that my drinking wasn't normal and um, I would be heading to the bottle shop because I knew the bottle shop closed at six o'clock and there was a sense of panic if I couldn't get a drink, yep. if I didn't have something available for me. And I knew the go-to secondary bottle shops that I could get to. But at that stage, uh, you know, I think I'd, I'd uh, killed the car because uh, servicing the car was uh, far less important than having a drink. Um, I started to get into debt. I would, uh, you know, buy whatever I wanted to, in terms of a drink because drinking came first. And uh, paying the bills came second, and I, I racked out quite a lot of credit card debt at that stage. So did you think that you had a problem? Did I think I had a problem? I'd been very fortunate. I had a mate of mine, uh, and this is whilst I was married, and he said quite a remarkable thing, that he, he wanted to go to an AA meeting. We had the car, and um, so drove him off to this meeting, and um, listening to people who were sharing their stories about what it had been like when they were drinking and and what happened and how they were able to to get and stay sober. I think to a certain extent I identified with what was being shared, but I was also asked to share that night, and I was there as the supporter for my friend, and I was clear that I wasn't an alcoholic Thank you very much, yeah. you know. And I mentally took three steps backwards. I didn't want to catch what you what you guys had, the other people who were there. I didn't um, want to. I didn't want to have an alcohol problem. I knew that I had an alcohol problem. I just was in denial. Yeah. Uh, 
So what what about work? It's very hard to hide it in real terms. So how did how did your work colleagues respond? Uh, well, I had what seemed at the time a very unsolicited response from a work colleague who talked about some relationship breakdown, and I'm thinking, why is he telling me this? And the fact that he woke up on the kitchen floor with an empty bottle of scotch, and I'm thinking, why is he telling me this? <laughs> and I don't know if he could smell the alcohol on me or not. Um, I, I believe that at any, uh, any given morning I would have had alcohol in my system in the morning and going to work. Uh, and... I was also very fortunate around that time to have a, a great boss, very supportive, um, helped me out in a lot of other ways in my life. And then she wasn't my boss, and I bumped into her one day, and I, I told her that I had an alcohol problem, and then she was my boss again. <laughs> so uh, she was watching me like a hawk, and there were times she challenged me uh, in the morning at work, oh, you've been drinking. Uh, it's a cough lolly, you know. I made mm. up some random excuse, uh, and then she might go off to a meeting there. And I, on occasion, went down and uh, maybe got a glass of wine or two or something like that. Uh, we're talking about morning tea, yeah. Uh, and I'd be drinking at lunchtime. I would drink with builders and work with bankers. Yeah, I, I did that because the builders didn't care. You know, they might drink four, five, six pots of beer at lunchtime. What they drank is not necessarily what I drank, but they weren't carrying it back to my bosses either. Yep. Um, but I was very fortunate. Uh, my boss, uh, she arranged at fairly short notice for me to go and do a rehab. Uh, I had asked to do it. It wasn't as if she was pushing mm. me in that direction. But I'd been to my doctor and asked, I said, doctor i've got an alcohol problem this is probably some three four years after the marriage had gone uh, so i think it took me a long time to realize and to admit to myself that i had a problem and the doctor said you look you can try and control it you can do a detox or a rehab and there's a third option and that's aa and she said aa has a good success rate for people who stick at it and of course, my hand went up for controlling my drinking. I wanted all, all I wanted the ability to drink, uh, and all the benefits of being sober. Yeah. And two stubbies turned into four, and you know, then it was a bottle of wine or a six pack, and then I was drinking like what I was drinking before, and a cask of wine or a bottle of spirits wasn't abnormal for me. Uh, back to the doctor, off to the rehab. And I got an education about the disease of alcoholism. And I was, I was quite contemptuous that these people would say it was a disease. It, you know, it's not, it's not a bacteria or a virus or something like that. Uh, but that it was a disease of dependence and it is, you know, on alcohol and um, a disease of addiction. That, that sort of mental component that I, I have to have a drink that I, you know, I can't. It's, it was like oxygen in the end, the alcohol. Um, and they took us to meetings of AA, and that was important. I got an exposure to people sharing. People were very kind to me, you know. Mm. I, was, I was in need of a little bit of tenderness uh, because I, I just wasn't mentally very well, you know, to, to the point where three years after getting sober, a woman said to me, uh, I was surprised to hear you had a job when you got to AA. Yeah. Uh, and it was... Uh, I guess considered a professional job, and I, um, I don't know how well I did it. Uh, I was probably stealing from my employer in terms of turning up at work and taking uh, a workspace, but I at least had a beginning in doing the rehab. Uh, I also told my family about my drinking at that stage. I don't have any family in Melbourne, and I, I rang my um, my brother, and I left a message on my father's censoring machine, and. Uh, spoke to my mother and my father got back to my brother and he said uh, what's what's happening with Russell is he all right is it you know some good news or bad news and he my brother said look it's a bit of both because I was able to tell them that I had an alcohol problem they didn't see me drunk they weren't around no my mother thought that I was just you know not a great communicator at that stage uh, and I was able to tell them I had a problem I was trying to do something about it uh, and uh, I had a beginning. Yeah, which is important. Yes. Mm -hmm.
Okay. Awesome. We might take another quick break for a song. Looking to connect with your local community and do something rewarding? Well, volunteering to lead a neighbourly ride could be exactly what you're after. The short 40-minute group rides are for all ages and ride levels. Help people build their confidence, feel supported while safely exploring the local areas of Brunswick, Carlton, Fitzroy and Northcote by bike. Volunteers receive free ride leader training, so go to neighbourlyride.com to contact us about volunteering. A 3CR supporter. Uh, you're listening to the Living Free Show on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Um, I'm talking with Greg and Russell, and we're talking about recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Um, so, Russell, uh, sorry, Greg, back to you. Um, you had difficulties working, had difficulties with your family. So what was the thing that triggered you to get serious about your recovery from drinking? I think um, in my life, I, I, you know, even though my marriage was really chaotic, uh, we were still trying to start a family, and there was this sort of real. I think from my my wife's perspective, she had the the um, the bug to you know her, her, her biological clock was going ten to the dozen. So, so there was this pressure going on, and we were really unfortunate. We we had a number of uh, miscarriages, and then eventually we took. And then we had some uh, some more bad news, which was that in about six, six and a half months, our, our son was uh, going to be stillborn. So we had to go through all that sort of uh, trauma. And I had to uh, spend that time with her in the, in the, the hospital room uh, sober. And while I did it, there was, you know, I realised that 10, maybe 15% of my mind was focused on the bottle of Glamourangia in, in, in the back of my, in the boot of my car. And that I couldn't shake that at all and I knew it was very confronting that moment where it was a, it was a moment of realisation that you know I, I might have kidded myself for a very long time that I, I, I wasn't an alcoholic but really knew deep down I was and this time it was it was a glaring message um, I didn't stop me drinking but I, and I, I went on a sort of pretty much a bender for about eight months um, and then had a like like a lot of people, a, a really sort of uh, humiliating experience where I went to a wedding and then it wasn't the wedding that I was humiliating at, but it was when we went back to the hotel room and I smashed up the hotel room and scared my my wife out of the uh, out of the hotel. She had to sort of find a taxi at three a.m. and I woke up in in this uh, you know uh, smashed up hotel room and and uh, for once I, I couldn't blame anybody else. I couldn't point the finger at anybody else, and I, I had to own it and. I knew my drinking was done. I knew my, you know, that I had to get serious, uh, if, not just to keep my marriage, but to keep my life, really. I knew that, you know, every, everything was done. Um, I think, though, my attitude coming into, uh, into that realisation was the fun is over, you know. Um, not that, you know, not that the last sort of five-plus years had been that fun, to be fair. You know, it had been pretty chaotic and pretty miserable. Uh, and, and pretty isolating as well. But, you know, I came into the rooms um, in, in the UK, in, in my hometown, and I, I made sure I didn't go to the same meetings my dad attended because um, he was always on a Monday night, so I went to the one on Saturday night, and I was a real snob about it. I, I, I looked at a lot of people in there. I, I, I listened to their story, and I realised that I was in the right place, but I really didn't... I didn't want to engage with them. Um, why, I, why was that... I, I thought I was better than them. I, I, I really did, you know. And, and I, I just felt, give me, give me the information, and I'll just walk away, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, swat for whatever exam you want me to, and I'll, I'll pass and get the certificate. But I, I realised, I think what was really telling was that they tried to close the meeting, and I, I got really upset. I was like, hang on, I haven't got enough information to go away with here. You can't just leave me hanging. <laughs> And so these people I had a complete disdain for. I, you know, was begging for help. So I obviously really needed that help. Somebody gave me their number, um, and I was still working. And I, I didn't. Uh, some of the suggested things in the early days is ninety meetings in ninety days, and I think that's that's you know in in many cases for good reason. And you know maybe I could have done with that, but I, I was working. You know I was working as well. I was working away, um, so I didn't do that. And but it was very precarious. Uh, I got a, thankfully I took I took this number of this guy who I who was a, who was an ex paratrooper, um, and I didn't really think that much of him to be honest. But you know he rang me during the week 
when I was sat in a hotel in, in the restaurant nursing my, my food and, and a Coke and looking over at the bar quite longingly. Um, and he phoned me. And it was, it was you know, strange having that, that, um, that connection with somebody so early on uh, and, and, and trying to, to, to make sense of it. It's, you know, you're talking to a complete stranger at a very intimate level. And, but, you know, within a few minutes, I, I managed to achieve that. And, and I've always been ever so grateful for that guy, uh, you know, giving me the call because it was the lifeline I needed uh, at a time where I didn't realise I was so vulnerable, but I, I obviously was. Um, and I um, managed to come into the rooms and, and, and pick up sort of regular frequent meetings. My, when my father found out that I was going to AA, he was delighted and gave me a book called uh, Where to Find. And what it was was a book for all of the AA meetings. It came out every year. They'd update mm-hmm. it every year, and, and all the AA meetings around the country. Because I was travelling the country, so he'd be like, well, you've got no excuse. Yeah. You're on your <laughs> own in a, a hotel room. What are you, you going to do? Go and take yourself off and... And go to these meetings, and it, it was a, a real benefit. And I, I managed to get a sponsor, and you know, started taking it really seriously. The, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say it was it was easy because it, it wasn't. There was a lot of prejudice, uh, not just of other people, but you know, in fact, actually, it was kind of that was the minor bit. It was within myself uh, about. Um, I think part of the reason I stayed out of the, the the rooms for so long was because I knew there was this step four, this dreaded step four that, you know, is, is, is the um, searching moral inventory of ourselves. And, and it's, it's really uh, an introspective examination of, of our behaviours and things that have gone on in the past and, and how we feel about things. And I wasn't prepared to be that, you know, uh, honest. Yes. And so coming into the rooms, I had to really front that up. But it's, you know, it has been one of the most confronting, but also one of the most cathartic and, and, and rewarding processes that I've, I've ever done. Um, but, you know, th- that preconception that the fun's over, thank God. You know, I, I think I thought, well, the fun's over. I, what's, what's left for me? I might as well take up knitting, you know. <laughs> and it, thankfully, that's not been my experience. I'm, no no yeah. disrespect to knitters, but... <laughs> <laughs> OK. Uh, so what about, how about you, Russell? Um, coming back and staying in AA. So you'd been before, you knew what it was like. So what was the trigger that sort of got you serious about being sick enough to need help? I might have mentioned that I uh, had flirted with AA over time, trying to sober up towards Christmas and uh, so that I could go and see my family, uh, that sort of thing. Um, but I, after the rehab, I'd, I'd had a number of busts, for want of a better description, where I would pick up a drink yet again and come back to a meeting and... Uh, if I was asked to share, I'd come up the front and say, I'm one day sober, and people would clap. And really, I was only 12 hours sober. Uh, I, but they, they'd come up after the meeting, and they said, good on you, you know, you're doing fantastic, keep coming back. And people would... I, I just could not comprehend it. People were genuinely happy to see me. Um, mm. And I've seen it subsequently. The people who are giving it a red-hot go, despite their fears... Um, you know, they'll get all the support in the world and all the help, and, and I've had some amazing help in my own story. But for me, I suppose that turning point was my last drink. It was a bottle of vodka uh, at home, uh, no one else around except the cat, uh, and I drank this bottle of vodka and it didn't deliver the, the blackout pass out there was no fun no oblivion and i was drinking for oblivion i would be buying alcohol on the basis of the percentage in the bottle um you know uh, that seemed to be the most important thing up to that point and so this this drink didn't deliver uh and that's that's a pretty scary place uh, my tolerance had changed as far as i'm concerned and i resolved at that point and I, I don't know how much into the influence I was when I made the decisions, but the decisions I made was to come back to AA, to do the things as suggested, because uh, to that point in time I was doing Russell's AA. I was yep. going to... My way. Yep. Yeah, I was going to rewrite how you guys were doing it because uh, you, you know, I, I, I like uh, Greg, I had a sense of contempt for, for these people. But what I couldn't get my head around is that People seemed happy to to, to be sober, um, so I, I came 
you know, resolved to come back to AA to do the suggested things, uh, to get interested in people who were sober because they had something that I clearly wasn't able to grasp, and that was the ability to not drink. I used to be the last person in the door and the first person out the door, so I resolved to kind of stick my hand out and get try and learn some names, and I was hopeless at it. You know, I was in a mental fog. To I realised inwardly that I was still this 17 or 18-year-old boy still chasing that warm, fuzzy effect that I'd got as a kid. We'd gone off to class, the teacher had said something, I gave a smart aleck response and everybody laughed, and that's what I spent the best part of 20 years chasing. So, yeah, back to IA. Uh, acting responsibly, I use the word act all the time because I didn't know how to be responsible. I was deeply in debt, uh, would have had 10000 plus in credit card debt. Um, my body was screaming out for a drink, uh, and I was told that it, I didn't need to do this forever. You know, I've, I've never sworn off alcohol for the rest of my life. Uh, just for today, I'm not going to pick up a drink. And just because you say that and you go <laughs> to some meetings of AA um, doesn't mean that your mind suggests... An, you know, going to the bottle shop on the way home would be a really good idea. Um, fortunately, I, amongst other things, I had my birthday to mark as the the point from which I'd not had a drink. Um, there's a section in the big book and it talks about uh, the delusion that one day we might be able to drink like other people is the obsession of every abnormal drinker, that many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. And I'm going, come on, guys, that's a bit... Bit, bit over the top, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I came to meetings. I came to plenty of meetings. I didn't have any other social network. There was nobody knocking down my door to say, "Hey, Russell, you're such a great guy. Let's go out and have a meal." No, it was. Again, I people were happy to see me to keep, that I kept coming back. They were. I had members pick me up and take me to meetings and, and drop me off and. At one stage, I said to this one guy, I said, uh, if there was a date, let's say the 32nd of October, a date that doesn't exist, where your alcoholism doesn't apply, what would you do? And quick as lightning, he said, I'd get drunk. And it reminded me that that's, that's our nature, to, to want to drink, to, to want mm. to be able to drink with impunity. Yeah. Yes. There's no, there's no way out. Mm. Without stopping. Um, so what about you, um, Greg? What happened when you got into AA? How did, how did life change? Life changed a lot where um, I was able to repair a lot of relationships and, and rebuild them. Um, my weight, which I'd put on, and the snoring, you know, surprise, surprise, dropped off and so did the snoring. And giving up smoking was the sort of final thing. It's not to say I don't snore from time to time, but nothing like where I have to spend the night in the spare room. Um, and, I, you know, I, there was a considerable amount of, of weight dropped off. I, uh, like Russell said, you know, there was, there was debts that I was able to pay off, strangely enough. And, and I took more interest in my finances and my life. Um, people trusted me with things that they previously... I'm, I'm not saying I was a complete screw-up, but I, I had... Uh, you know, people would minimise what they would trust me with. Now they were, you know, they were saying, oh, can you look after my, you know, babysit my kid or, you know, or can you do, you know, something of importance to them. And it didn't have to be monetary. It, it mm. just meant, you know, value to them. And that was, that was really important. It was, it was, uh, and there was the funny things like getting into a car after eight o'clock in the evening and realizing, you know, I can do this <laughs> without feeling guilty. But it took a while to actually shake that feeling because it had been so often and for so long. Um, you know, these days I laugh that off, but at the time it was, it was groundbreaking. It was mm. really new. Um, and you know, that I could pick up the phone after eight o'clock in the evening and talk to somebody. In fact, wanted to pick up the phone and, and call them. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I've had so many other choices. Obviously I'm in another country now. Um, and you know, I, I've been blessed with these, with these different sort of rewards and stuff, stuff like that. But there's also, you know, the, the, the realistic sort of stuff where uh, life on life's terms. So, you know, I've, I've lost jobs. I've, uh, you know, I've, I've split with my marriage. I've had uh, people die on me as well, as well as all the positive stuff. And, you know, as, as Russell said, it's, it's one day at a time. I've, I've not had a drink uh, in all that time. And, 
you know, for the time being, I have no desire to. And, you know, I just, I just renew that every day. But I'm able to experience these, you know, good, bad and, uh, and otherwise sort of experiences on, on, you know, on the terms that they're given to me. Um, I'm not saying it's always easy. In many cases, a lot of a challenge. But I'll reach out for help. And I'll give help where people, you know, ask me for it as well. Um, so, you know, that's, that's always been sort of the, the, the backbone of my uh, program, which is, you know, AA's been able to really uh, help me sort of um, install and reinforce uh, throughout, my, my, throughout my sobriety. Okay. Um, so, Russell, anything sort of you'd say to somebody like you who's, who's out there listening, who's thinking that maybe their drinking could get better... Or their condition could could get better if they stopped drinking. What what does what does somebody like you suggest? There's there's a, a philosophy for for drinkers often that um, because I have problems in my life, I drink. Yeah. Uh, and it was because I drank that I had problems in my life. Uh, when I'm in, under the influence of alcohol, it, it's it's so easy for you know, a, a teenager to push me over and take my wallet or whatever. Uh, I was operating my whole life under under that basis, and I suppose the the short version is give it a go. But yeah. uh, I'm aware from my own story that from the time I went with a mate as the supporting person to the time that I got sober was seven years. Now that's seven years that knowing that my drinking wasn't normal. Seven years of the fun, having gone out of yep. it quite a long time ago, having to drink. There were days when I wasn't going to drink and I wasn't going to drink and then I'm coming back from the bottle shop and I'm looking at this bottle of scotch and I'm saying, whose hand is that and where did that bottle of scotch come from? Uh, I was driven to drink and having some courage, I guess, it's it takes takes an enormous amount of courage, I think, in the first instance to walk through the doors of AA. And I see it for, for new people uh, as a step of asking for help. Yeah. Know? I don't know what the answer is, but you guys seem to have been going forward in your life, been able to turn things around. No one's perfect. Mm. Um, it took a long time for me to turn around my life. Yeah, that's great. Okay, well, listen, we're just about at time. So if there's anybody out there who'd like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, then you can phone them on 1300 222 or you can go online at aa.org.au. That's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Greg and Russell for coming in to 3CR Studio and sharing their Alcoholic Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you both. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovering from drug addiction and we'll be joined by some members of Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, thanks again for listening to the Living Free program today.